This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Today, we are in search of paradise. If you don't know him already, I'm going to introduce you to Pico Iyer. His new book is called The Half known life in search of paradise. Pico Iyer has written more than a dozen books, all of them tremendous sellers. He wrote The Lady and the Monk and The Art of Stillness. Pico divides his time between Japan and a Benedictine hermitage in California. With philosopher parents and a close personal relationship with the Dalai Lama, Pico has a very interesting perspective on life. And this book has been called A Journey Through Competing Ideas of Paradise to see how we can live more peacefully in an ever-divided and distracted world. So if you're looking for paradise, a place where anxieties and struggle and burdens fall away, if you believe that paradise can still exist, this book might be for you. Pico Iyer, his TED Talks have been viewed over 11 million times. I encourage you to seek those out. And Pico, I have to know straight away, how did you grow up as a close personal friend of the Dalai Lamas. You know, I was really lucky because when the Dalai Lama left Tibet in 1959, my parents and I were living in, in England and my parents were both philosophers. So they knew, oh, this amazing treasure is available to the world. So my dad sailed all the way back from England to India and he met the Dalai Lama. And so the Dalai Lama's always remembered that one of the people who really sought him out as soon as he arrived in the larger world was my father. So when I was 17, my dad took me up to meet the Dalai Lama in the Dalai Lama's house and I just fell into this very fortunate position of getting to spend a lot of time and with His Holiness. And now whenever he comes to Japan, where I live, I travel with him every minute of his, his day. Oh, beautiful. That's so lovely. Your parents, both philosophers and scholars of religion, do you feel like super lucky to have been born into the life you were born into? I do, but probably like everyone, it took me a while to see that. You know, I took it for granted when I was a little kid that there were Tibetan monks around the house and all these books from every possible tradition. And I wasn't really interested in it. But of course, the older I've got, the the, the luckier um, I realize I was. And um, I've woken up to the fact of what a blessing it was to get to meet the Dalai Lama when I was very young and um, to have access to all these different traditions so that I'm not stuck in any one little group. Why? Because you can live anywhere in the world. Why have you chosen to live in Japan? You know, <laughs> I could give you a lot of reasons, Casey, but I wouldn't believe them. In other words, I think it's just a matter of affinity. The way you walk into a crowded room, you'll see a stranger, and you feel, I know that stranger better than I know my own friends and family. So long ago, I was living in New York City, and I had a business trip in Hong Kong. And on the way back, I just had a 20-hour layover at Narita Airport near Tokyo. We all know airport towns are not so much fun, but I walked around that town for one morning. It was late October, beautiful, bright blue sunshine, and all the trees were beginning to turn. 
and it felt so familiar that after one walk around an airport town, I decided to give up my job in New York City and move to Japan. And I've been there 35 years now, so something just told me this is, this is your secret home. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. And once you got there, was that feeling, of course, after 35 years, I'm sure the answer is yes. But I guess my question is, once you got there, how was that affirmed to you that, yes, you're in the right place? Yeah, it's a really good question because, of course, I did go over with various romantic illusions. I left my job working for Time magazine in midtown Manhattan to go and live in a temple in Kyoto. And when I arrived, of course, the temple wasn't just sitting under the full moon writing haiku. It was really hard work. So, so I realized that I wasn't ready for that yet. But Japan itself, something in the air, really felt at home instantly. And I noticed, you know, when I was living in New York City, I was always thinking, what would, would it be like to live in Japan? As soon as I arrived in Japan, I never thought about anywhere else. I knew I was in the right place. And I say this because I, I think everybody has this kind of place. And something... Some people just, you're lucky enough to find it, and then you keep going back to that place because it restores you the, really, the way a really deep and kind person can restore you. Mm. Your latest book, The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise, it sounds like you've found your paradise in Japan. Is that safe to say? It's safe to say, but I think my question was almost, how can any of us find our paradise right now? right where we are because i was writing this book in the pandemic and 20 hours after lockdown was announced here in california my poor mother who was 88 was rushed into hospital in an ambulance she was losing blood very quickly and so i came over from japan and i spent six and a half months just by my mother's side she was wavering between life and death and i was thinking how can i find paradise now we're all really in a anguished state of uncertainty during the pandemic. My mother's not so well, but if I'm going to find paradise anywhere, how can I find it now? How can I find calm and contentment, even in a difficult situation? Because basically life is always difficult, but that doesn't mean we can't find places of hope and light. Do you think that everyone is in search of paradise? Well, I would say everyone has felt moments of paradise and everybody wants to find a better life, a better self, a better world. And I think you don't have to go to the other ends of the earth to find it. I think everybody knows that paradise is basically a way of seeing and then a way of being. For example, during the pandemic, I, I started taking walks on the road behind my mother's house. And it was just as the sun was rising, the hills were flooded with golden light, the ocean was in the distance. And I suddenly realized as a lifelong traveler, wow, this is as beautiful as anything I'd go across the world to see. It's right in my backyard. And until lockdown necessitated it, I'd never even walked on the road behind my parents' house, though they've been there 50 years. And I'm guessing a lot of other people had that experience during lockdown. Suddenly you look at everything around you and you're reminded of things that you have that others would envy. Right. A hundred, absolutely. A hundred percent. So what is, what do you mean when you say the half known life? I mean two things. First, I think in this age of information, we actually know less about the rest of the world than ever before. Uh, so we know some details about Iran or North Korea or 
Kashmir or Jerusalem, but it's very hard at a distance to get a sense of the human reality and day-to-day life in those places. So that's why I travel. The second meaning is that I think our lives are determined by things we can't explain. Suddenly we fall in love. Suddenly we walk around an airport town and decide to move to Japan. Suddenly a pandemic comes and we're stuck at home and we don't know when it's going to end or if it's going to end. And it's really we determine or we shape our lives by what we do with what we can't explain. And I think when most of us think back on the big moments of our lives, they're things that are far beyond our grasp. We don't know why we suddenly fell in love with that person or why we broke into tears when we saw that beautiful sight, but we do know that's a substantial moment in our existence. We shape our lives with what we can't explain. Yes. I, you know, so when I was a kid in my 20s, I was on top of everything. I was a know-it-all. I know exactly how I'm going to control my life. And of course, the older I've got, the more I've seen, um, I don't know a thing. I, don't, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow or tonight. And there are many much bigger forces around. You know, one day I went upstairs in my family home, and there was a 70-foot wall of flames, a big forest fire. And by the end of that evening, we'd lost our home. We'd lost everything we have in in the world. So everybody in her life has those moments where suddenly something changes. You walk into the doctor's office, you get a big diagnosis. What are you going to do then? That's, I think, the sort of key question that our lives ask us. And how can you find hope and possibility after a very difficult moment, whatever moment that is? Right. So how do you find hope after difficult moments? Well, that's where I'm lucky enough to, for example, spend time with the Dalai Lama. He's he's a perfect example, I think, because of all the people I've ever met, I think he has the most difficult life. He hasn't seen his homeland for 63 years. He's called a demon by the government of the largest nation on earth. And yet everybody knows what's, what, the, what's most striking about the Dalai Lama is his constant smile and his infectious laugh and his robust sense of confidence. So there's somebody living a really hard life and yet in every moment he finds I can learn from this person. I can find joy or instruction in this moment. And there are many others like that in the world and I think when we watch them, I think I want to be like that. There's always going to be challenges in my life but I don't want that to obscure the possibilities in my life. Right. So you get to run off and play with the Dalai Lama. The rest of us don't. (laughs) Well, no, but thanks to technology, we can watch him or Pope Francis or Archbishop Desmond Tutu or Malala, so many different kind of people. Now we have access um, thanks to YouTube and many other things. And also, this Dalai Lama is the first one in history who regularly comes and, and talks in New York City and San Francisco and Jerusalem and Belfast. So I I always remind myself we're living in a very fortunate age where we have access to all the wisest spirits. Even during lockdown, we could at any moment hear or see whoever inspires us, whether it's Martin Luther King or, you know, Tom Brady. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. I just want to ask you, what do you think of the world of uh, social media and and TikTok videos and, and connecting that way? Do you feel it's bringing us closer or further apart? Oddly, I think we all sense the world is more connected by technology, but we're more divided by our ideas. So I don't think the world is very close apart. And 
know, my prejudice is I don't spend too much um, time with social media because it connects us for a second or at the surface of ourselves, but not at the deepest level. And meanwhile, something unfortunately like the pandemic did connect us at a very deep level because every human being pretty much was dealing with the same fear and anxiety. So we're lucky we have so many exciting diversions in the world, but I don't want the diversions to keep me away from the depth. And I always feel I get so much more out of a three-hour conversation with a friend than out of 63-minute conversations. So for me, I want to give my attention to one thing for as long as possible, and then I really feel enriched. We're talking to Pico Iyer, The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. When was the last time you felt that you were in paradise? I'm lucky because I often go to a monastery just three hours by car north of where I'm sitting in California. And it's a Catholic monastery, and I'm not Catholic, but there's just such a sense of silence and peace there. I think this is what what we could be and what we could have at any moment. And of course, as soon as I'm back on the freeway driving home, some of that magic disappears. But it reminds me of who I can be. If I just like unplug my devices for 20 minutes every morning, I can feel the difference and I can go about my day much more clearly than if I'm constantly running around. So again, I think we all have it in our capacity um, to bring more, more peace and clarity into our daily lives. What's the one thing you most want people to know from your latest book? I, I want them not to give up hope because I do feel there's more despair and pessimism now than I've ever seen in the world. And at the beginning of my book, I quote the great Nobel Prize winning um, Irish poet Seamus Heaney. And when he saw Nelson Mandela released from prison after 27 years, Seamus Heaney wrote, once in a lifetime, hope and history can rhyme. So he'd grown up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, constant conflict. So he knew that history leaves us with scars, with memories we can never erase. But a life without hope is no life at all. And I think if we choose to look, there are points of hope everywhere. And if we find those points of hope or look for them, our lives will be much better than if we concentrate on our endless divisions, whether they're political or religious or tribal. Um, so it's up to us, really. We, but we have the potential to look at what unites instead of what divides. Pico Iyer, where are you going next? Well, I'm returning to my beloved Japan next week. So I think this time next week, I'll probably be in my own private paradise. But I really hope everybody listening to this conversation has some paradise nearby and that she can find it. And I bet that's true of most people. The Half Known Life in Search of Paradise. What a peaceful soul, Pico Iyer. Check out his TED Talks and his new masterpiece, The Half Known Life in Search of Paradise. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. We are in search of more healthy ideas today. And Udo Erasmus joins us now. Udo Udo says he can help us understand a little bit more the relationship between the healthy fats, the omega-3s and the omega-6s and how much we need of each and how too much of one and not the other can 
can produce what's called a cytokine storm. We heard that term during the worst of COVID. It's an immune system gone awry and producing too many cytokines too fast. And Udu has some ideas on how we can protect ourselves from colds in winter. Well, in you know, in the north where, where I live, we, we're starting to call it vitamin D deficiency season because in summer you get vitamin D through sunshine falling on your skin. But the sun is too low in winter and you don't get the you don't get the uh, the the sun activation. It's actually vitamin D is made out of cholesterol in your skin, but you don't get it in winter. So you become vitamin D deficient in winter. And that's why you get colds and flus in winter, not in summer, because vitamin D is super important both for respiratory function and for immune function. Wow. So we should be taking a supplement? You should be taking a supplement. Yep. The recommendation between for adults between five and 10,000 units a day. If you're overweight or obese, you need almost twice that much because vitamin D is uh, fat soluble and it gets lost in the fat tissue and becomes less available. So it's different for different people. All right. We are talking to Udu Erasmus, and we're talking about uh, cutting our colds and flus in half this time of year. Vitamin D, a good place to start. I have never heard this before, that we should avoid sugar and fruit. Well, particularly sugar. Uh, If you take a teaspoon of sugar, it can knock down your immune system for five to eight hours. And uh, when your immune system is down, it means all the critters that the immune system keeps fighting and keeps in check uh, have a chance to multiply pretty quick because they double every 20 to 30 minutes. So after eight hours of impressed immune function, you end up with a lot of stuff to deal with. So don't do it. What I recommend is instead of eating sugar and fruit, eat greens till they're coming out of your ears. So you mean to tell me like holiday season, if we're chowing down on on, uh, cakes and cookies, we're actually depleting our immune system? Yep. In fact, when I, when, in the days when I used to, used to eat all the sweet stuff at, at Christmas, in my house it was always at Christmas that we did that. Every year at Christmas I got the major snot-nosed cold. Every year. <laughs> and when I stopped eating the cookies, the, the cold went away too. Personal experience. It's quite, quite uh, reliable, uh, predictable. So, uh, speaking of your nose, you also say that we should keep flushing our sinuses. Tell me how yeah. to do that because I always feel like I'm drowning myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's kind of like that. You, what you do is you put your head to the side and you run, you run water up your the top nose, you know, the top nostril, mm-hmm. and then you run it through the back of your nose and run it out the bottom nostril when you when you got your head on your side. It's called uh, the neti pot. It's used. It's from India. Uh, and uh, it's also called navash, like nose lavash. The idea is that because it's a, it's, a, it's a hidden place, you know, you can't just like wipe it off. You know, you blow your nose, there's still a lot of stuff that stays in your nose. And that's a great place where viruses and cold and flu accumulate and sit and, and feast, washing them out because that's all water-soluble stuff. So washing them out is actually a good idea. 
How often should we be washing our sinuses, and do we do it all year or just during cold and flu season? Well, it's only, only if you think your nose is dirty. Okay, deal. Right, basically. Deal. And, uh, and you can do it more than once a day when you've got lots of stuff happening. But preventively, you do it just when, you know, you feel it when you start getting clogged up. That's a really good time to do it. Now, you wrote a book about fats, fats that heal, fats that kill. So I'm not surprised that you're recommending omega-3 oil fuel for fighting flu. Tell me more about that. Right. Well, I'm not not recommending uh, omega-3s for cold and flu because I wrote a book. I'm recommending it because there's research that what omega-3s do particularly, they have very high energy and they give all their... all the cells, including the immune cells, more energy to do their job. That's why they're helpful. And there's pretty good evidence that the omega-6 cytokines, I don't know if you know, you remember the cytokine storms that people talked about, those are made out of omega-6s, and those are inhibited by omega-3s. But most people don't get enough omega-3s in their diet. So the omega-6s make these cytokine storms. Omega-3s are missing to control that. That's not a good idea. No. All right. So you say (laughs) double down on vitamin D, avoid the sugar, flush your sinuses, and get your omega-3 oil. And one more thing, which is protease enzymes, so the protein-digesting enzymes, you get them out of digestive enzyme capsules. What I do is I open them in my mouth and I swish them around in my mouth because the protease enzymes take the protein coat of any virus they come in touch with, any virus that has a protein coat, and most of them do. And then that puts the virus out of commission. And that takes a load off your immune system because you picked them off before they even made it into your cells. I never even heard of protease enzymes. Well, you know, pineapple, uh, you know, if you eat too much raw pineapple, Mm -hmm. then your tongue tingles. Mm -hmm. You, You know what I'm talking about? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's protease enzymes. Pineapple is very rich in protease enzymes. And if you take too much, they'll start eating your tongue. Oh. That's why that's why your tongue tingles. Oh, so that's gotcha. that's your that's your your signal to to back off. The more clogged you are, the more you can take those enzymes before that happens. So fundamentally you're just helping your immune system along by picking them off before they get in yourself. All right, Udu Erasmus, you have been very kind in giving us a lot of great healthy information. And we have not been, this is like the masked singer, we have not been revealing your true identity. Uh, You actually actually have a product that you've created that can help us with our health. Tell everybody about that. Well, well, two of them, actually. One, One is the digestive enzyme product. It's called Advanced Adult Digestive Enzymes. And the company that makes them is called Flora. And the oil is called Udo's Oil. And you find both of those in the natural food stores. Okay, advanced adult digestive enzymes. Is that what you said? And this is like a powder that you sprinkle on things? Yeah, it's a it's in a capsule. What I do is okay. I either chew up the capsule or I just open the capsule and dump them on my tongue. Okay. And then just swish them around in my mouth. And they'll take down any anything that has protein in it, uh, which is in, in, in the cold flu season, the, the viruses and bacteria, it takes the protein coat off them. It's not the perfect cure, but I actually went from uh, Switzerland to Austria one night, and I had a talk to give, and I was like so messed up. I was taking enzymes every two hours, like a capsule of enzymes every two hours, drove on the train through the night, and by the time I got there in the morning, my cold was gone. 
Beautiful. So if you, it takes some time. You have to experiment a little bit to figure out exactly how it works best for you. And Udo's oil, what is this? Udo's oil is a mixture of omega-3 and omega-6 made with health in mind. We actually develop machinery so they don't get damaged because they're super, super sensitive. And the omega-3 and 6 are both essential for health. And the omega-3s are the ones that inhibit the cytokine storms and inhibit the, the bad things that omega-6s can do when they're not controlled by omega-3. You have to be smart when you take supplements, especially, say, if people are taking omega-6. Can people take omega-6 and think they're doing a good thing when they're not? More health problems come from damaged oils than any other part of nutrition because we're, we're taking oils that are very sensitive to, to damage by light, oxygen, and heat. We're treating them very carelessly and damage them, and then they damage us. Okay. We actually turn them toxic. What kind of oils are these that we're turning toxic? Uh, the ones we use for frying, they already contain toxins because of the way industry uh, treats them in the, when they make them. Mm-hmm. They actually heat them to frying temperature in the process of making them to give them a long shelf life. All of the colorless, odorless, tasteless oils that you find in plastic bottles on the shelf, except for extra virgin olive oil, they've all been treated and partially damaged by the treatment. I'm safe with my extra virgin olive oil, though, right? Uh, you, yeah, but you don't get omega-3s in it, but and you have very little omega-6, so you still need a source of those because those are the only two things from oils that we cannot make in our body and have to bring it from outside okay. to be healthy. All right, all right, all right. So pour on the omega-3s. I'm getting, I didn't understand the first time around. I understand it yeah. this time. All right, Udu yeah. Erasmus, I have to ask you this. Um, what put you on this path? I got poisoned by pesticides and the doctors couldn't help me. And I, I, I knew that the body's made out of food. I have pretty good biology, biology and biochemistry background. I knew the body's made out of food. So I said, okay, well, if I'm sick, then what I need to do is raise my standard for food intake. And then within a year, about 98% of the atoms in my body will have been removed and replaced. And have, I will have rebuilt my body 98% to a higher standard. That's called healing because the body's always turning over. It's a major construction site. And then I got stuck on oils because oils was the most confusing area. On the one hand, they said omega-6 is essential for health. And the next study I read said omega-6 gives you cancer and kills you. And it was that conflict, that contradiction. I mean, it drove me nuts. And I said, you know, there must be something else going on that I'm not getting. And that's what made me look into how oils are made and how they should be made and how sensitive they are and why it is really important to exchange the oils that you're using for oils that are actually made with health in mind. That's Udu Erasmus, the oil guy. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. And our thought for the day is from Thomas Carlyle, who said, He who has health has hope, and he who has hope has everything. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on.